So this morning, like I said, I want to minister on freedom. You know, we live in a country where freedom is talked about all the time. I mean, we, we live in, in America. It's a great land of freedom. But the funny thing is, America's, in America where Americans experience some of the greatest level of freedom, I think that sometimes we still don't quite understand what, what freedom means. I mean, we think that a lot of this world thinks that because we're, if you're free, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you can just do anything because you're free. And, and there's this idea that uh, uh, grace was preached. We had this great revelation of grace in the church and that in Christ you are free. You're free from sins. You've been made clean. And it's like this big pendulum swung. There was a pendulum back here that was kind of very legalistic and, and you're saved, but these are all the rules you have to follow. And, and we had a revelation of grace and it swung this way. We understood that, no, we're saved by grace. That we've been made clean and pure that, that uh, because of what the the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we are free from sin, that we actually are not bound by it, it doesn't control us, we're not, no longer under condemnation for it. But the problem is this pendulum swung so far the other way, we got this idea that we can do whatever we want. We can go ahead and uh, accept Jesus into our lives, but now we can go and, and do anything we want. We can sleep around, we can go out drinking and partying and gambling, and, and we can do whatever we want because God's given us grace. But the reality of the situation is, yes, God's given us grace and we are completely clean and free, but it shouldn't have swung that far. We need to understand that, that, that you're not only forgiven, but you are free from sin. You're free from the bondage of sin and what that, that has in your life. And just like in America, as the soldiers have fought for our freedom and given us freedom in this country, what does it mean to be free in America? There's still this idea of submission to the government. Because while we are free, if you're not submitted to this government, they can quickly take that freedom away. If you begin to do stuff that you're not supposed to be doing in this country, if you lie or if you, if you murder somebody, they're going to throw you in prison and your freedom is effectively removed because you're not submitted to the authority of this government. And in much the same way, in the kingdom of God works the same way. We have to be submitted to God in order to enjoy the freedom that he bestows upon us. You know, and the truth is that being saved is so much more than just going to heaven someday. When you're saved, you actually get to enjoy a little bit of heaven here on earth. It's, it's more than just one day I'll be saved, one day I'll be healed. When I go to heaven, everything's going to be all better. But even now, we can enjoy a greater level of freedom than we ever have if we understand what that freedom really is. Because in Christ, we're actually free from so many things that we don't realize. We're free from fear. You know, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. We can actually speak the name of Jesus and not have to be afraid. We're free from sickness. It has no control in our lives. We spent a lot of time these last few months, last few weeks talking about that. And, uh, and we're also, most importantly, <clears throat> when you get saved, you are freed from sin. You know, sin has such a powerful uh, control on, on an unbeliever and in this world. If you look, they're actually compelled to do some crazy things. And if you recall your life before you were saved, you were probably doing the same things. And actually, you were probably doing a lot of those things in the name of freedom. I'm free to do whatever I want. But I want to look today at what freedom really is in Christ. So the first scripture that I want to look at is Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least, of, of, the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. 
So this is talking about the new covenant. This is replacing the first covenant, which is the law. The law was given so that uh, a man could see what was required to be, to be right before the Lord. And the problem with the law was that it, it, it actually gave sin strength because it began to point out all these areas you were failing. And then came condemnation and guilt and all these things came at us. But then God sends the new covenant. This is what he's talking about here. Then he says, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. You know, we had this idea we talked about shortly ago, the, the pendulum swinging the wrong way and we have grace and we're allowed to do whatever we want. We're free in Christ. But why would God put his laws on our hearts if there wasn't actually an intention for us to understand what is good and what is right? You know, when God's not asking us to refrain from sin for some sort of control, God's not a control freak sitting up in heaven writing down all the ways that he can make us do whatever he wants. But God actually writes these laws into our hearts so we can understand what is good for us and what is not good for us. Much like when you have rules set forth for your children, even though they believe, you probably believe that they do this so you just can't have any fun, huh? You can't, can't stay up late because it's just not fun or you can't, can't stay out all night because they're just trying to ruin your fun. You know, that's how kids think. Kids think that, uh, at, least at, at some point you think that way, that, oh man, they just have it out for me. They don't want me to do anything fun. But the truth is that, that we set these rules up because it's, it's not safe for your children to stay out all night and you not know where they're at. You know, they need sleep to, for their bodies to grow and to be healthy. And, and if they're out in the middle of the night, you never know what's going to happen to them. I mean, same thing with God. When God puts these laws in our hearts, you know, the, the reason is not... Uh, to, to ruin our fun. The reason is because when we engage in these activities, it actually damages us. It actually causes harm in our lives, even if you don't, you don't see it. I mean, stealing and killing, obviously we see the, the obvious ramification to somebody else. We see that. It's even incorporated into our laws in this country that stealing and killing is a bad thing. But what it also does to you internally and spiritually is it turns you into a taker instead of a giver. Now, God is a giver. He gave us everything. He gave us his only son, and we are created in his image to be givers. But that, also, that changes in you when you begin to take stuff instead of being the giver that God wants you to be. And then immorality damages our spirit as well. We talk about sexual immorality and sexual impurity, and we wonder, you know, what harm can that be done? You know, the world says, what harm is that? You know, you want to you wanna live with somebody first to get to know them and know if it's going to work out. What harm can that cause? But you just have to look at all the men and women that get into relationships with marriages and they come in with, you know, what we refer to today as baggage. You know, all this, this issues and stuff that they're going into a relationship with. And I know personally, and, and, and my relationship with my wife, we had, uh, she was married previously to, to uh, an abusive man and they got divorced. But even, even though they were divorced uh, correctly according to, to the Bible, you know, she, she had a right to do that. Um, there were still issues, consequences that we have to deal with to this day, that we've had to deal with. And, you know, the, the reason why we don't engage in these things is because it's actually damaging to us. And then the next thing I want to point out, is this, and this is something that I think is amazing. Uh, when I read this, I actually didn't notice it the first time, but it says, I will be their God, they shall be my people, and they shall not, they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, Know the Lord. It says, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. You know, the truth is that everybody is born now knowing who, who God is. The laws are written on our heart. We know who God is. In Romans 
chapter 1, I think, Paul says that uh, his invisible attributes and his, his nature has been seen from the beginning, and we're without excuse. We know there's a God. This is why I believe that there's no such thing as a true atheist. You know, I don't believe that you can, you can walk out your front door and think that this just happened and there's no God. And, and, the, and the Bible says that it's written on their hearts. They know that there's a God. And finally, it says, I will be merciful to their inequities and I will remember their sins no more. You know, and this isn't God just looking down and, and turning a blind eye to you. When you were born again, when you asked Jesus into your life, you were giving a brand new spirit. It's not God looking at you and saying that, that uh, I'm just going to ignore these things that you've done. But those things that you've done are actually completely removed. When God looks at you, he's not confused or he's not deceiving himself. He sees Jesus and who you are being made pure and holy. And I think that's just an amazing thing. So next we're going to look at uh, the newness of life we have inside of us. And Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been purified with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. God cleanses us and gives us a brand new heart inside of us, a new spirit inside of us, not so that we can uh, be cleaned up and then do whatever we want to do. You know, it actually says at the end here, so that we might too walk in a newness of life. We are given a new life to walk in it, so we can actually be free from, from all the stuff that was tearing us down before. You know, it's kind of like if your kid goes out and plays in the mud and gets all dirty, and you bring him back inside and you clean him up, as a parent, are you bringing him inside and cleaning him up just so he can go get dirty again? Or are you going to say, keep your butt out of the mud? You know, we cleaned you up, stay clean. And I thank God that, that even in the same way that if, if our kid does go out and slips in the mud again, it's just as easy to, to rinse him off, to clean him off again. And God's the same way. If we, if we make a mistake, mistake, we are still clean. Because when you get in the mud, it's your outside that gets dirty. But the inside has been cleansed by Christ. And you can go ahead and just rinse that dirt and filth off in the same way. And then Paul begins to, to speak, say to them, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Because even back then they had this idea that, that grace is awesome. Grace frees us from sin. And they began to do some math. Well, if I do one bad thing and grace is really powerful to clean me from that, what if I do ten bad things and grace is ten times as more powerful? Grace is even more powerful if I do all kinds of stupid. And that's what he's talking here is that should, could, should we continue in sin so that grace increases? Paul says, no. We've all been baptized into Christ Jesus, having been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism and death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. He says, did you all not know that you've been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? You know, we do water baptism. Baptism is a, is a, is a symbolization. It's our outward representation of us saying, yes, that when I'm above the water, this was the old me. And then when we're put underneath the water, completely submerged, that is us being buried with Christ. That's us saying that we've been buried with Christ and died. And when we come out of the water, it's symbolizing us having a newness of life. We are a brand new person. The old person is dead and gone. And you know, when you're dead to sin, it has no influence on your life. 
when, when something is dead to you, it has no ability to control you. And I've used this illustration before many times in my preaching, but I think it's, it's just a great way to, to look at it. But do you remember watching the old gangster movies and, and one of the, the, the kids or cousins would do something stupid and the, the, the grandfather would say, you're dead to me. What did that mean? Did it mean that the guy actually falled over dead? No. It meant that he no longer had any association with the family anymore. When, when he was dead to him, he, had, he couldn't come in. He couldn't enjoy anything that was going on. He had no rights. He had no, as, as far as they were concerned, it was like he was dead. And that's the same way sin is us. We are dead to sin. As far as sin is concerned, we no longer exist. It has no control and it has no power in us. And that's why we can be raised from the dead and we might too walk in a newness of life because it has no control over us anymore. And in Galatians 4, 1 through 7, it says, Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. You know, when, what it's talking about here is that there was a time when, we were, when you're a child, that a child and a slave in a household enjoy basically the exact same things. Even though the, the, the slave gets to have the food, it gets to enjoy, you know, housing. And, but a child is actually the owner of all this stuff. You know, the child is an heir to, to, the, to the father's kingdom, to his father. You know, if you were to look at it in, in uh, you know, the old days with, with farms and stuff, you know, the, the child is heir to the entire farm, but he's still treated as a slave because he's not an adult yet. He actually has no say. He has no control. And that's what we're looking at here, that, uh, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. That's the law. As the law, we were, we were children, but we had no, no grasp of what was actually happening. We were under the guardian and, and tutelage of the law of Moses. And it says, so also, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. So while we were still under the law, we weren't completely free yet. The world still had its hold on us. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, the great thing about it, the amazing thing, is that when God sent Jesus, we're no longer a slave under the law, but we've actually been made a son of God, and we have complete access to everything that Jesus gave us access to. Jesus was victorious over sin, and as an, as an heir alongside Jesus, we are victorious over sin. Jesus is an heir to the kingdom, and he has the fullness of power from God, and we have the, the same thing living inside of us as an heir of God. The, the law has completely been set aside, and we're given a new covenant. <clears throat> the truth is that legalism says that, uh, well, here's what's happening in this story that Paul is describing to the Galatians that, uh, that you're no longer under the law. You no longer have to live a legalistic life. You are free in Jesus Christ. And the problem that they were having is the Galatians were still trying to live under the wall. They were being legalistic. You know, and there's actually churches today that still live with the same mentality is that, that uh, your, your uh, worth, your redemption, is only as good as what you're doing. If you're not living a right life, then, then uh, God's just going to write you off. And that's not true. While God does want you to live a right life because it's good for you and God has freed you from sin so that you can, your, your worth and your redemption and your righteousness is not gained from 
from what you do. But that's what's happening in this Galatian church is they're, they're trying to live legalistically. Even after the new birth, even after they've been made free, they're trying to hold on to the law. You know, and it's kind of like a... Uh, it's kind of like uh, the airplane passengers that hear the captain come over the speaker that says, you know, our, our navigator has lost our position, and uh, we've been lost now and flying aimlessly for an hour. You know, that's the bad news. But the good news is we're making great time. You know, it's, that's kind of what it is. Like when you're, when you're living as a, as a Christian, as a, as a believer, born-again believer, when you're trying to live legalistically, you're not getting anywhere. It looks like you're doing great. On the surface, it looks like you're doing awesome. You're making great time. But you're actually not getting anywhere. It's not until you fully grasp the freedom in Christ that we have that you are no longer a slave to sin and bondage, but you are an heir of God, living in freedom just as Christ did. Amen? So in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 through 8, it says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Right here we can see that God has purposed for us to be pure and holy. Matter of fact, our purpose was, he's so concerned with that purpose that he sent his one and only son, to die so that we could achieve that purpose of purity because we can't do it on our own. We can't, uh, we can't attain a level of, of, I mean, the law shows that. You, you guys have seen the law, even if you just stick with the Ten Commandments and not even the rest of the book of the law, all of us has fallen short at some point in our life. If we were to have to live by those standards, none of us would ever make it. Even the best of us has fallen short at some point, at one point or another. And Truthfully, we're actually born in a state of being unpure because of, of the original sin. Adam, Adam uh, ate of the fruit, and that's been propagated throughout humanity. So one, by one man, we were cursed. But thank God Jesus came. And by one man, we've been redeemed. And we are made pure and holy when we accept him. And it's, it's God bringing us back to that purpose for which we were called, that we can never achieve ourselves. God did it for us. And the truth is that once you become saved, you've made a new person, it should be very uncommon for a believer to sin. You know, it's, this shouldn't be... Now, I understand that sometimes we all fail, we all make mistakes, we all do stuff that we shouldn't do. But it should be a very uncommon thing. And it shouldn't be something that... Uh, you know, if you ever get to a point where you're completely okay with sinning and doing whatever you want. You know, it's not an uncommon thing. It's not something that happens occasionally, but this is what you're, the life that you're living. You need to reevaluate your position. You need to reevaluate where you're at because God has freed you from all that stuff. <clears throat> and then Paul is talking to the Thessalonians here, and he says, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know, when Paul was saying that, look, this is what God has to say to you. He's called you to, be, to live a, a pure life for the purpose of impurity in sanctification. You know, God made you clean to live this. And if you reject this, you're not rejecting me. I'm just the, the mouthpiece of God right now. You're actually rejecting God in this. You know, and if you, if you reject this freedom that God's given you, and I'd, I'll be completely honest, there's times in my life that I've rejected this freedom. There's, I don't know if it's happened to you, but it has happened to me where it's, it's, it's there's something that's, that's tempting me. And I look at it and you begin to hear God's voice saying, hey, this isn't right, you need to step away. And you're ever like, eh, maybe tomorrow I'll start doing it right. You guys have ever made that, that thing? Or, or you, just, you hear God, but you kind of push him off to the back burner, you ignore him. I'm the only one that's ever done that. 
that's okay. But, you know, that's, it's funny because you begin to, to I, begin, I begin to rationalize before, you know, and the, the enemy begins coming in and saying, oh, it's not that bad, or, oh, you can do it again tomorrow, you know, you can start fresh tomorrow. I remember when I was trying to quit smoking, it was just like that. You know, the, I, I knew I was free, and I was a believer at the time, but I was still smoking. I was, I was uh, being freed from that. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, that temptation, that, that, uh, that uh, uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The habit, the, you know, the addiction was, was, was uh, coming in and tugging at me. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't smoked in, whew, it's been probably eight years or something like that, six, eight years. And uh, I still, every now and then, will get a temptation to smoke. I'll still feel that, that need to smoke. And I have to make a choice when that happens. Do I believe what God says that I am freed from that? Or do I let the enemy talk in my ear saying, ah, oh, you can just do it once. You just do it once. It'll be no big deal. You know, and I think that happens to us. We quickly rationalize that freedom away. And when we do that, it would be like, can you imagine going up to, to uh, an American soldier that's, you know, a lot of them have given their lives, and some have come back, and they're, 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 they're mangled, they're crippled, they've lost legs and arms, all in the name of freedom. And could you imagine walking up to them saying, thanks, but no thanks, we're good. I mean, could you imagine being that disrespectful for someone who, who gave us the opportunity to live as we live, to have the freedom of religion, and just saying, eh, thanks, but no thanks. You're, you know, kind of like what they did, they did in uh, the Vietnam War when they were just treating soldiers I mean, we look at that as appalling that they would treat soldiers like that. They were just fighting for the country. It wasn't their choice to do it, but they did it for us. That's kind of what we do to God when, when we hear him saying, you're free from this, and we just, thanks, but no thanks. I'll do it tomorrow. And uh, I'd encourage you that we, we are called for the purpose, not for the purpose of impurity. We are called to be pure. And thank God he made it so that we could be pure in his son. In Ephesians 5, 6 through 14, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. For all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, the first thing we have to understand is that it says, For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What he's not saying here is that it comes upon Christians who are being disobedient. If you are a Christian, you are no longer a son of disobedience. You're a son of, of the Most High God. You are an heir to the kingdom. The sons of disobedience are those who are not saved. They're actually still sons to the God of this world who is the devil. And that's what he's talking about when he says the sons of disobedience. And says, therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. You were what? Formerly darkness. I want you to know that there was a, there was a time... That, that this was who you are. You were a son of disobedience. Until you make a choice to be made brand new, to accept Jesus into your life and have that old man ripped out of you and the new man put inside of you, then that's who you were. But you were formerly darkness. And it's kind of like uh, when we were talking the other day, having, having your butt in the right place. This is therefore you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Used to be darkness, now you're not. So if you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Basically, be who you are. Quit being who you were. You know, there's a, there's a time, and I don't know if I use this, this scripture or not in here. We'll find out when we get to it. But Paul is saying that, that uh, idolaters and adulterers and, and, and liars and thieves and swindlers, people like this, the kingdom of heaven does not belong to them. And he says, such were some of you. Basically, he's saying, this is who you were. Why are you still acting like this? You are a brand new person. There's no reason for you to act like who you were. You're free from that, that hold that it had on your life. Amen? And the interesting thing here is, is, is Paul doesn't say you were formerly in darkness. He says you formerly were darkness. This is an identity issue. It's not saying that you were formerly living in sin. You were formerly darkness. You were actually, that was your identity, was a son of disobedience. And thank God now your identity is in Christ. It's your, your darkness or your lightness has nothing to do with how you behave. It's like the people in this world that say, I'm basically a good person. I'm not doing these dark things that you speak of. But it's not that they're in darkness. They are darkness. It's who they are, and there's nothing they can do about it until they accept Jesus into their life to be made light. And I thank God that's who we were, and it's not who we are anymore, and we don't have to live that way anymore. Amen? Another thing we need to do is it says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. The truth is that we need to, to, if there are areas that we're trying to live that old life, we need to expose them. And if it means that you need to, to go to somebody for accountability, then it means that. If it means that you just need to understand that this is wrong and, and you make a choice to follow God and not follow the, the lusts and, and passions of the flesh, but you choose to choose to follow God, then do that. But we have to recognize that there are, are things in our life that can be destructive and harmful, and we need to choose to trust God and to follow God in those areas of our life. Amen. And that's, uh, we also need to, to recognize these, these things in, in other areas of our lives as far as uh, uh, the world going on around us. You know, we need not to support uh, this stuff in, in the world as, as we see darkness in other people's lives. And not so much in the lives, but in the world. We need to, to ex- when it says we need to expose them, we need to understand that, you know, that uh, we see stuff like abortion being tried to push the legislator, legislation being allowed for, you know, pro, pro-choice. We need to, as Christians, expose that as, as wrong. We need to, and it's not, it's not to condemn people because, unfortunately, we live in a world where people are lost. And condemning them doesn't accomplish anything. God loves them just as much as he loves you. And he wants them to come to the light. But we need to, to understand that there are things that are wrong that we are not going to participate. And we'll even expose them as being ungodly. Amen. And the final last bit I want to talk about this on the, uh, uh, where it says, For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. You know, when we talk about... When it's, when it's talking about this, we need to not talk about these things that are going on in the world. And the most important way that it affects us, and it's talking about speaking them in, is almost in a honoring light or in a, uh, a bragging type light, is in our testimonies. You know, we need to be very careful when we give our testimony that we don't spend 90% of our time giving a testimony of, of what God did in our life on, on how bad we were, and only 10% of our time talking about what God's done in our life. You know, in my life, God has done some amazing things in my life, but it would be silly for me to spend all this time in almost, you know, in essence, almost bragging about how bad I was. You know, it's kind of that, will grace abound even more just because I was really, really bad? <laughs> 
You know, so we don't, we don't brag of all things because we almost honor those things in our lives. We almost lift them up. And as people begin to hear them, I, you know, I heard a, a comedian talk about, you know, you hear these people that come up with these great testimonies. And when you're done, you're like, oh, I wish I was a coke addict. Because, <laughs> you know, just so God could do that amazing thing and free you. I mean, that's just silly. But that's the, the truth is we begin to uh, lift up these horrible things in our life. When you give your testimony, it's okay to talk about where you've come from. But the majority of your time should be talking about where God brought you to. Amen? In Isaiah 59.2, it says, But your inequities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You know, when we turn away from God, even after we're saved, when we turn our backs to him, there is a, a separation between us and God. Or actually, our hearts begin to harden. We have a hard time hearing his voice. You know, and it says that, it, uh, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's not that he can't hear, but it's because when your back is turned to him, he won't, he won't hear someone who is completely focused on something else. We need to be focused and have our faith in God. You know, when you're trusting God is when he hears you and you answers your prayers. You know, and it's, this isn't a, it's in a parlor trick for God hearing you. It interest, it's interesting to me that when I talk to people that have, you know, they, they believe in God, but they're, they're not... They're, they're not uh, uh, given their life to Jesus, have not accepted Jesus. They believe there's a God, and some of them might even believe Jesus existed, and maybe even at some point they accepted Jesus into their heart and they consider themselves a Christian or they're a cultural Christian, but they live their whole life their own way. You know, they do whatever they want. They, they say they're a Christian, but, but if you look at their life, you would never have guessed it. You know, if, if it was illegal to be a Christian, there definitely wouldn't be enough evidence to convict. But they say they're a Christian. And the interesting thing to me is that something bad happens in their life. And they begin to pray to God all of a sudden, God, you know, make this thing better. Like he's a, he's a magic trick that can be turned on and off. They haven't talked to him for most of their lives. And all of a sudden when something goes wrong, they want to turn to God like he's some sort of parlor trick and, and expect them to, to grant their wish at, at, you know, at his whim. Just, oh, you know, if I just turn to him. But they haven't. They don't even know who's God's voice is. They haven't heard it in so long, but they, it's, it's just been interesting to me to see people that live like that. But it says, your inequities have made a separation between you and your God. You know, in this world, freedom is kind of a deception. You know, I've talked to, when I used to work in restaurants, as I was being trained to be a pastor, and, and I would talk to people about uh, being a Christian, and especially for a younger generation, the most common uh, complaint that they have, or the common, is that they don't want to stop all the stuff that they're doing. You know, they're, 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 if we're not a Christian, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to sleep around and do drugs and drink and, and do all these things. They think that they're free to do all these things. And I used to tell them that you're not free. You're actually in bondage to all these things. You know, these things actually have control over you. You think that you're free, but you can't stop if you want to. If you were truly free, you would not only be free to do them, but you'd be free to stop. Stop. Stop smoking right now. Stop going out and sleeping around with all these girls. Stop going out and drinking till every night until you're so drunk you can't even walk straight. And they begin to, well, hopefully, none of them ever realize it, but I would hope that they'd begin to realize they're not actually free from that stuff. They're held in bondage to it. And the truth is that when we live these, these lives as Christians and non-Christians, that there's consequences to, to all these things that happen. I thank God that as a Christian, 
when you slip up or you do something that you're not supposed to, or even before you were a Christian and, and you received Jesus, that you were forgiven. You were completely free. There is no condemnation under Christ Jesus. But the truth is, there's still consequences. You know, how many, there's a, uh, a guy in Praise Chapel who does uh, uh, ministry in Ethiopia. He was actually convicted of murder, got saved in prison, and spent many years in prison after, even after he was saved. And uh, I thank God now that he was, he was actually, something happened, he was pardoned and released, and he's doing great work in Ethiopia. He's planting tons of churches out there, and it's really an amazing thing. But the truth is, even though he got saved, he was forgiven of murder. But the consequence of it, he was still in prison. You know, he wasn't released from prison as soon as he got saved. And in our lives, you know, that's an extreme example, but in our lives we have the same things happen. It's kind of where you get the phrase, mess with the bull, you get the horns. You know, you do, you do something stupid, there are consequences for that. Now, I thank God that as Christians, that we are, are not under condemnation for it. But, but understand that this is why God wants us to live a pure life, because there's still consequences for those things that we do, even though we're forgiven. Amen? And in Philippians two fourteen through 15... It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in this world. You know that uh, when I first read this, it says, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. I thought it was our, it was doing the actions you know, this is kind of the legalistic view. You do the actions, and you're proving to God that you're blameless. That your, your, your blamelessness comes from living this life. It comes from not grumbling or disputing. You know, your, your blamelessness actually comes from what you've done. But the truth is, that's not what, what, what he's saying here. He's saying that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Basically, what he's saying is Jesus says that you're blameless Jesus says that you're innocent by what he's done inside of you. By living who you really are, by living out your identity, you begin to prove to yourself and to others that you're blameless. You're not blameless because of what you do. What you do is because you're blameless. You see the distinction there? And, uh, and because of this, it says that, that we appear as lights in this world. You know, the truth is that as this world I mean, we see it. I was just listening to a sermon by Carl Friedrich, who is a part of Praise Chapel organization, Pastor Carl Friedrich. And he was saying that, uh, uh, remember when we had that big tornado uh, not too long ago in Oklahoma? It was two miles wide. And uh, this tornado came through. And on that same day, I think we had a hurricane somewhere. We had a tornado somewhere. And there was like three other things that happened just in our country all on the same day that was absolutely devastating. And he was talking about, you know, there was a time um, some years back that if just one of these events would have occurred, people would begin to realize that the end times are coming, that, that the stuff that the Bible talks about is this world falls apart. The end times are coming. And he said only one of these things had to happen and people would have been talking. But now something like five different things happened on one day. And we're almost so jaded to it that, you know, no one's talking about it. There's this, uh, this idea that life's going to go on forever. But the truth is, Jesus will be coming back, and we're coming to, to an end of times. And I don't know how long it's going to be. Will it be another thousand years? Will it be tomorrow? I don't know. But I know I'm going to be ready. But as the world keeps getting darker, our lights are going to continue to shine brighter. You know, we appear as lights in the world. It's kind of like, have you ever taken a flashlight out on a bright and sunny day? 
it's almost like it does nothing. You're like, is this thing working? You don't see any difference. And that's kind of how it was. There was a time when people think things are going so great. Things are awesome. Nothing's wrong. They look at us and, and, and think, yeah, what do I need that for? Everything's going right when I do it all myself. But as the world gets darker, as things change, as the economies begin to collapse, I and mean, we're seeing it in our, in our, our time now is, you know, we're, our economy is unsure. We're seeing a lot more natural disasters. I mean, how many uh, school shootings or theater shootings have we seen just in the last few years? It's absolutely amazing to me the amount of, of violence that's happening, the, the attacks of the enemy and the work of the enemy that's going on. But as this happens, our light is going to continue to shine brighter. And we, don't, we want to make sure that we're not dragging Jesus' name in the mud with what we do. You know, it's, it's kind of like, look at the damage that was done by some of these super famous TV evangelists and they get caught with a, with a prostitute. And obviously the finger gets points at them, but how many know that the finger was also pointed at Jesus? You know, if, if these people are doing this, what's that say about Jesus? Even though they had, it had nothing to do with Jesus, Jesus doesn't want that for people's lives. But his name was dragged through the mud. And that begins to, to dim that light. You know, why people look at this hypocritical man and attribute it to Jesus, and they don't want that. And the same thing goes for us. We need to, to live lives and, and, and embrace the freedom that God has given us from sin and live holy and, and godly lives, not for, for the purpose of purity, so that our lights appear bright in this world. Amen? So that people would see us and say, I want what they have. And that's one of the best opportunities you can have to minister to people is, is when they look at you and they say, why is it that you're always joyful? Why is it that you don't ever seem to have uh, the same troubles that we have? It's because God loves us. And God also loves them, and they can have that, partake in that in the same way, and we have an opportunity to minister them because our light was shining brightly. Then Romans seven fourteen through 20. And if you've read this, most people I've ever talked to kind of get a, a weird idea of what's actually being said here. But this is Paul talking about sin. In Romans seven fourteen through 20, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. Verse 16 says, But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer, doing, no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. A lot of people have read this and go, oh, that's why I do dumb things sometimes, because there's sin dwelling inside of me. But Paul is actually not talking about believers here. He's, this, is, this is pre the new covenant. If, we, if you continue to read in Romans 7, he goes on to say that, but now we have a new covenant, now we have Jesus, and we're no longer, it is no longer sin that lives inside of us. Because remember we talked that we are dead to sin? Sin no longer lives inside of us. But this is what happened when the law was in place. They saw the law, but they hadn't been changed on the inside yet. Before Jesus, they were still the same men with that corrupted seed inside of them. And they had sin dwelling inside them. They saw the law. They wanted to do good, but they couldn't because sin lived inside of them. But now that we've been made brand new, we have a, a new incorruptible seed inside of us that 
we have the ability to resist what they could not. We have the ability to, to not let sin have a control over our lives. Matter of fact, anytime that, that you begin to succumb to sin or do something that we're not supposed to do, it's actually us making a conscious choice because sin does not have that power unless you give it to him. We have the ability to resist. Well, how do I know we have the ability to resist? Do you guys remember when Jesus was in the desert 40 days? It says Christ was tempted in all ways that man is tempted. You and I are not tempted in all ways that man are tempted. We have a subset that we get tempted with, and somebody else has another subset. But Christ was tempted in all ways, yet he persevered. And we have that very same nature living inside of us. We have Christ living inside of us, which means that we can persevere that any temptation that comes to us. Amen. In Jude one twenty four, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. I often read this verse. It says, Now him who is able to keep you from stumbling and wondered, Well, then why is it that I stumble sometimes? But the truth is, whenever I stumble, when I take a step back and look objectively at what happened, it's always because I stopped looking at Christ and I began to look at something else. And that's always been the case in my life that, that if I keep my eyes on Christ, when I begin to be tempted, if I begin to worship, the temptation goes away. But if I turn from Christ and look at the temptation, then the temptation grows stronger. The truth is, if you will keep your eyes on Him, He will keep you from stumbling. And we have the ability to live a sin-free life. And I realize that the reality of that is sometimes more difficult than the, the reading it on a page. But know that with Him living inside of you, you can live that way. And in Philippians 3, 12 through 13, it says, Not that I have already obtained it or already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which is also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You know, it's very interesting to me that this is Paul that says this. I have not laid hold of it yet. It, in some ways, it's kind of amazing to me because you look at the life of Paul. and you're, I mean, he wrote like 80% of the New Testament. I mean, of all people that had it right, you would think that Paul was where he was supposed to be. And I, I, I find it amazing in that sense, but I also find it as a great encouragement in another sense because I know I have not laid a hold of it yet either. But like Paul, I want to have the same attitude as him is that I press on so that I may lay hold of it. We keep moving forward. The truth is that all of us, pastors you've had in your life, people that you've looked at as the great men and women of God, myself, other mature Christians, and even the newest Christians, we all continue to make a stand. We all continue to grow. And if we stand in one place, that's actually when we begin to die. That's when we begin to fall back. You know, it's kind of like in business, there's this saying that if you're not growing, you're dying. Either there's no standing still. We're always pressing on to that maturity in Christ. Because Christianity is a religion of looking forward. It's always been a religion of looking forward. You don't let your past dictate who you are. And not only does that mean that you don't let the, the, sin, in the, in the sin of your life and the, that's happened in the past, you don't let it control you or condemn you, but you also don't grasp on to your successes in life either. 
you know, there's, there's unfortunately, there's a large uh, set of Christians that did amazing things in their lives but became stagnant afterwards. And they begin to, to base their life on what they have done instead of what they're continuing to do for the kingdom of God. So just remember, this is a, a religion of looking forward. No matter what happens in your life, whether it be something that would seem to, to disqualify you, that you can put it behind you, put your eyes back on Jesus and continue to move forward, trying to attain what Paul's talking about here, even though we know that we have not already. Amen? And then this is the next verse, Philippians three fifteen through 16. It's a continuation of that one we just read. It says, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. So I want to take a moment here. Raise your hand if you're perfect. Just two? All right, let's do it this way. Raise your hand if you're saved, if you have Jesus in your heart. I want to see hands all raised. Now, I want you to not keep them up. Keep them up. Hands up. I want you to not put them down when I ask this question. How many of you are perfect? Now we're getting it. In Christ, you are perfect. That's what this scripture is talking about. It's not saying how many of you are, are doing everything right, living the perfect life. He says, as many, of, as many as are perfect. I want you to know that if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are perfect in front of God. You are perfect, and you have to get hold of that to understand where you're coming from. You will never live a perfect life if it doesn't come from within you, if you don't realize that on the inside that you are perfect. <clears throat> you know, it's, everybody seen The Matrix? Some of you guys heard me use this ex expression, but The Matrix, great sci-fi movie, at least the first one was, the other two got kind of whack. But Neo is this, uh, in, this in this fiction, he's, he's kind of their savior. And uh, he's there to, to save them from this uh, basically alien AI infection trying to take over the world. And they've imprisoned humans, and he's their savior. And when they find him, everyone around him tells him, Neo, you're the one. And he's like, no, I'm not the one. They're like, yeah, you're the one. No, I'm not the one. And the whole first half of the movie is him fighting against being the one. But then there's this scene when one of the people, that, one of the women he met is going down in a helicopter. So he's got to grab this rope and he actually holds this helicopter up just by the strength of his might. He holds it up. And the, the guy Morpheus looks at him and he goes, he goes, he's starting to believe. And what's amazing about this, this, uh, this story and right there in that section is nothing changed. Neo was still Neo. He was the one before he thought he was the one, and he's the one after he's finally starting to believe. And that's what it is with us. You are made pure and perfect and holy. There comes a point where you have to start to believe that, and when you start to believe that, your actions begin to show that. You'll never live perfect. You'll never live a sinless life if you don't believe that that's what you already are on the inside and begin to let Jesus live outside of you. Because you do what you are. And the final thing that I love pointing out about this is this is there's indisputable proof that you are perfect. How can you tell yourself, how can you know without dispute, without folly, without anything that you are perfect? How many know that God lives inside of you once you're saved? Jesus comes to live inside of you. Jesus is perfect. God is perfect. He's pure. He's holy. The Bible says that uh, he is light and in him there is no darkness. He can't even be affiliated with darkness. He can't be affiliated with unrighteousness. The fact that he lives inside of you is indisputable proof that you are perfect right now. And we have to, you know, it says we are sanctified 
in, in, our, in salvation, but we're also pressing on toward, you know, Paul says, I've not laid hold of it yet. A lot of that is just understanding who you are and living out who you are in Christ. And you have to understand that inside that you are perfect to begin to live that life out. And then Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will become upon the sons of disobedience. Remember we talked about who the sons of disobedience were. And that's uh, the, the people that are unsaved, the sons of the devil, or the God of this world. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But, once again, the but is in the right place. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And having put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created them. You know, the truth is the, our old self is dead and gone. It's a... Uh, it's a corpse been pushed off to the side. You're given a brand new person. You're a brand new person inside of you. And, and that's what Paul's referring to is you put on the new self. You know, that's a conscious decision. In the morning when you get up, you need to look in the mirror and say, I'm beloved by God. I am perfect and holy. And put on the new self and begin to live that life. You know, and, and every time that we don't live like that, you know, we put back on the old self, which is dead, right? We talk about as being dead already. It's kind of like, putting on a zombie suit. I mean, you're, you're pulling on filth and decay and nastiness on you, and that's what's living. You're, you're, you're kind of reanimating what was once dead. Even though you don't have to, it has no life in it of its own. You actually have to pick it up and put it on. But if we can just recall to get up and put on the new self every morning, we begin to, to live with freedom from sin. It has no control of us. We're able to live that perfect and pure life. And then in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in Colossians 3, 2 through 3, it says, Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The first thing is, is we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the is, is this doesn't say that God's going to renew your mind for you. It says, Paul's saying to the, to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to consciously renew our mind by spending time in the Word. We begin to learn who God is. You know, you'll never know who you are if you don't ever learn who Jesus is, because that's who you are. Jesus, everything that Jesus had, you have in you because he lives inside of you. That's the new life that you've been given. And in doing so, once again, it says that you may prove what the will of God is. You're not proving to God what his will is, but you begin to see for yourself what his will is and that his will is good and it's acceptable and it is perfect. And then it says that we should set our mind on things above and not on the things that are on earth. Because basically our old life was concerned with the things of earth, but our new life in Christ should be concerned with the things of the kingdom of heaven, should be concerned with the things of God. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to enjoy some of the things that God has put on earth for us. You know, the Bible says that if you Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. You know, there's nothing wrong if you want to go out for a day of fishing. There's nothing wrong if you want to go out and spend some time with your kids. But ultimately, your ultimate focus should always be on the kingdom of heaven. How can I increase God's glory in this world? And in, in doing so, I mean, the truth is, we all have to go to work. 
But what are you doing at work to increase God's glory? Do people look at you and see the light shining from you, or do they just see another person that's grumbling and complaining with the rest of them? You know, we have to make that choice. And I thank God that we have the ability to be light shining brightly because of what he's done inside of us. And finally, the last verse we're going to look at today is John 8, 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Such a strong verse, such a short verse. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. He's reiterating that when you are set free in Christ, it's not a partial freedom. It's not a hope. It's not a possibility. It's not something that might happen one day. You're not going to be almost free, but you will be free indeed. In Christ, we are free from all those things that previously had bondage and control over us. I know we all have different temptations in our life, different things in our lives that, that had an impact on our lives that even threatened to this day to tempt you regularly. And, uh, but I thank God that because of what Christ has done inside of me, what he's done inside each and every single one of you, that we are free from those things that had control over us. You know, and there's, there's people in this world try to become free from these things in many different ways in this world. Some people try to get freedom from their past or, or their torment by, by, you know, drowning in a bottle. Some people use drugs to try to make them forget what's going on. They think that's freedom, but it's just masking it. Some people use the strength of their will to be free from different things. I know I tried quitting smoking on my own for I don't know how long. I was terrible at quitting smoking. It's much better at smoking. But finally, when I submitted it to God, and I finally let Him work in my life, that's when a change finally made. You know, and some people go in and, and, try and do hypnosis to try to be free from things that, that they recognize as, as, as having a hold on their lives. And uh, that's a temporary fix. That's not real freedom. That's a mask. That's a, it's, there's a deception in that. You know, and the truth is that the, in this world, have you ever noticed that there's people that, that spend all this time trying to be free of things that other people claim that they have the freedom to do? You know, there's people that they want to be free from drugs while the other, other people say, oh, no, I want to be free to do drugs. You know, there comes a point when you realize that it has a hold on you. And that's the great uh, fallacy of this world is that there's this illusion of freedom when it's just the enemy deceiving you into what you think that you have. But I thank God that the freedom of Christ is a sure thing, that we're free from all of those things that had a hold on our lives. I thank God that, that he died so that sin, that we would be dead to sin, that it actually has no ability or power in our lives. The only power that sin has in your life is the power that you give it. So I thank God that we can uh, not give it any power in our lives. We can live free from it completely and live our lives with our eyes focused on the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.